This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. Morning, folks. Morning to those who are watching online as well. I've been thinking this week, if you had been a time traveller and uh, arrived here, Australia, February 2024, or if you were an alien coming to, to this planet, arriving in Australia this month, you'd be forgiven to think that we were ruled by some leggy, blonde, strawberry blonde, uh, guitar-holding, piano-playing American. You do know who I'm talking about, right? Taylor Swift for president. There you go. <laughs> I've got you on board already, Candy. It's hard not to miss her. She has been totally saturated throughout the media. Media recovered her before she even arrived. We were following her plane. We were at our computers. We were lining up for tickets for days until that the time that the, the tickets were available, we clicked on to try to get those tickets. We were waiting for the woman to arrive, those golden tickets that would give us the privilege to be in the presence of Taylor Swift. Along, um, who? <laughs> senior, senior service for you on Thursday. We'll teach you all about it. But to be numbered amongst those followers, those fans of Taylor Swift, you know who I'm talking about, the Swifties. The Swifties. And you can recognise the Swifties by the, the tassels, the, the cowgirl boots, uh, the tutus. Uh, apparently they love the number 13 because Taylor Swift was born on the 13th of December. How magical. And so to become a Swifty, I was looking up uh, online what it means to be a Swifty, a, a follower of, uh, of Taylor Swift. It said that you are devoted to the messages of her songs, that you embrace her values. She loves cats. Apparently, people are going out buying cats. <laughs> you guys are right into it, the Fonties. <laughs> People are going out buying cats because Taylor Swift loves cats. <laughs> but when we buy those tickets, when we become a Swifty, we become, we become as, as uh, this online uh, message talks about, we become a part of the community of Swifties. There is a community of Swifties. You feel like one of the community. And if you're not a Swifty, you're an outsider. Sorry, I am in that camp. But I know how people have been so, so enamoured with being able to get to see Taylor Swift. I've seen uh, this week people who have found out that the tickets they thought that they had bought were fake. And the tears and the distraught faces and the mums that were distraught for their girls who discovered that they couldn't get in to see Taylor Swift. And then on the other hand, I've seen, and you've seen if you've watched morning shows, the, the exuberant faces when people discovered that they've got free tickets given to them through a competition on the morning shows. They're in the in crowd, as opposed to those who have missed out. Missed out on those beautiful golden tickets to be in the presence of Taylor Swift. 
Our lives are dominated by three desires. A desire to matter, a desire to belong, and a desire to be loved. I want us to think about that throughout this message, and we'll get to that toward the end as well. You see, if in any way we don't have any of those three desires to, to matter, to belong, or to be loved, we feel like we've missed out. We feel like we're rejected. We feel like we're an outsider. We come across three people just in that circumstance in this passage from Matthew chapter 8. So if you've got your Bibles or your phones and you want to look it up, we'll also show it on on the screen up here. We're going to look at three instances where people have come to Jesus as an outsider. Outsiders of society, outsiders of the Jewish community, those who are the self-defined people of God. They'd never be accepted or eligible to even join this community. They were true outsiders until they meet Jesus. Jesus, in a moment, redefines these people's value to God. That indeed they do matter, that they do belong, and that they are definitely loved. And Jesus wants to make a point through Matthew's accounts here that the kingdom of God belongs to people like this. So we're going to look at these three who experience this life-changing encounter with the true king. And then we'll see what that means to them and then also to us. So what we're going to look at this morning, hopefully, here we go. There we go. What we're going to do this morning is look at a couple of questions. Who is the outsider and why are they an outsider? Secondly, we're going to ask the question, why do they come to Jesus? What motivates them to come to Jesus? And then what is Jesus' response in each of these different situations and the impact that that life-changing encounter makes? And then we're going to look at a a few very brief lessons that we can uh, can look at that will impact our identity as true members of Jesus' kingdom. So in context, Jesus has just finished his greatest block of teaching, his, his manifesto of the kingdom of God, the Sermon on the Mount. He's declared the least of those are the most important in the kingdom of God. To live for Jesus is to live fully counterculturally, to love your enemies, to live according to, to God's standards of love. And ultimately, he leaves them to make a decision. Will you build your life on the sand of uh, the ignorance of Jesus' teachings, or would you take Jesus' teachings and put it into practice? just like a builder builds a founda- on a foundation of rock-solid um, material. But then what happens in chapter 8 is that Matthew then shows that Jesus is putting these principles into practice. He follows the talk with the walk. So we look here at three stories, and if you've got your Bibles open, we've got a leper, a centurion, and a woman. 
all very, very different, yet they belong together since none of them really belong to anything. Certainly not the in crowd. They're outsiders, each one of them. And it shouldn't be surprising for us to find that Matthew has lumped them together here in this book. Matthew knows, in fact, what it is like to be rejected. Matthew also knows what it's like to follow Jesus and be used by God. He tells their stories, not because the raw details are so interesting, but he's trying to show that those who consider them without any hope, those who are outside, are actually the ones who Jesus brings into the fold of his kingdom. Well, let's quickly look at the leper in verses 1 to 4. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. And a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So why is the leper an outsider? Well, many of you have probably heard about lepers in Bible times. The word leper literally means to peel. It was a skin disease, a very contagious, life-ending disease, incurable. Leprosy was a disease that also migrated to pottery and leather and even through contact with walls. It caused reddish-white sores throughout and all over the body, and they would fester and spread. It's great reading as you're eating your breakfast. Um, But it it was very visible that a person would have leprosy. And if you didn't, if you missed the fact that they were covered in these sores, they would have to go around um, the, the streets, if they moved at all around the streets, declaring themselves unclean so that no one would accidentally bump into them. They were the untouchables of Jesus' time, totally outside of all and any rights that they had in society. You had an extremely good chance that you were pretty much a beggar. You were reliant on whatever people out of their graciousness would give you and throw to you. Unloved, uncared for, a disgrace to society. That was this man's livelihood. So why did this man come to Jesus? This guy knows that there was no other way, that would, no other person that would make a difference in his life. Matthew describes him as, as kneeling before Jesus, a, an absolute surrender to Jesus. You are my only hope, as it sounds like um, Star Wars. You are my only hope. He humbles himself before Jesus and surrenders his entire life. He says, Lord, if you're willing, he surrenders all of his life, anything that he has left of any dignity that, that he has, he lays it at Jesus' feet. He declares he just wants to be made clean. 
He wants a new start. He wants a new value and a new purpose in life. He wants to belong to society. He wants to feel a sense of worth, a sense of being able to matter to others. Jesus' response is absolutely miraculous and amazing. Jesus reaches out his hand and touches this man. You could imagine the crowds that have already gathered suddenly gasp. Jesus has literally just touched a man with an incurable skin disease. He has broken every societal law that they had. He physically touched, not rejected, not exiled, not forgotten this man. But he showed even in that physical touch that he was made in the image of God and is valued by God. The very first time that this man, for quite possibly years, to actually have a human touch him. What an amazing feeling. And not only that, then Jesus responds to this man's surrender and his faith, and Jesus declares, you're clean. This man is is physically healed. Matthew says he's immediately cured of his leprosy, but he's also cured socially. Go, show yourself to the priest. To go and see the priest means to be around people, to enter the temple courts. To, to go and become a member of society again. What a tremendous and astonishing change in this man's life. And truly, he was spiritually healed. Even the fact that Jesus tells him to go to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded makes the man realize that he has now been re-embraced into the people of God. You can worship just as everyone else worships. You are completely restored physically, socially, and spiritually. He now has value. He now has status, not just in society, but he is now no longer an outsider, but a true and valued and loved member of the kingdom of God. Let's skip to uh, the second person, the centurion. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. And Jesus says to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have found, not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it will be done just as you believed it would. 
and his servant was healed at that very hour. The centurion was an outsider because he was a Gentile. Worse than that, he was a commanding officer of the occupying army of the Romans. One would think that this man was such a hated man by Jesus' followers. But of course, this wasn't the case. Some would have also known that the Romans had uh, put a lot of effort to build the Jewish synagogue at Jesus' time as well. But sure, many of the people would be very suspicious that a Roman centurion would be amongst their midst, quite possibly to trip Jesus, to trick him into blaspheming or, or something worse. At this very early stage in Jesus' ministry, that was not God's plan. And it certainly wasn't the intention of this faithful centurion. The centurion comes to Jesus. What was the problem? It's evident that his servant, that he deeply cared for back home, was so ill he was almost at the point of death. He initially shares with Jesus this predicament, stating clearly that he was there for authentic reasons. He says, Lord, my servant lies at home paralyzed in terrible suffering. Firstly, Jesus responds that he's going to go and heal the man. But imagine what the rest of the people would have thought, that Jesus would go into a Roman household, again, breaking all society norms for a Jewish man to make friends with the enemy, particularly a Roman commander-in-chief. And yet Jesus was willing to go outside of that, to go and reach the outsiders, to reach those who truly needed to matter, to belong, and to be loved. But listen to what this Roman centurion goes back to Jesus. No, 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 please don't come. I don't want you to suffer the humility and the humiliation of coming to my house. I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. Imagine a Roman commander saying that to anyone. I don't deserve. He has everything to be deserved. He's, he's gone to the, to the highest ranks in the land. He's in the most powerful army of the, of the empire of Rome. And he humbles himself before Jesus saying, I don't deserve for you to come even to my house. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. Jesus responds astonishingly to that leap of faith that this centurion makes. Just say the word, and he'll be healed. For I myself am a man under authority. And he goes on to uh, describe his power and authority. And yet despite all that power and influence over his soldiers and his servant, this humility again displays his acknowledgement that he re realizes that he's an outsider. He won't subject Jesus to the humiliation of even entering his home. Jesus' response is astonishment at this man's faith. In fact, there are only two times in, in this whole entire word of God in which it says that Jesus was astonished at something. 
Here at the faith of the centurion and in Mark chapter 6 verse 5 when he's actually astonished at the lack of faith within his own hometown. Jesus doesn't get astonished too often and yet he is taken aback by this man's humility and his faith. The centurion had faith that Jesus was the very person that could help him out. So he laid aside the cultural divide. He laid aside the spiritual divide. He laid aside the pride that could divide. And he approached Jesus, the one who could make a difference. The servants healed. That very moment, Matthew makes sure we know. And the centurion's faith, is declared publicly. Jesus accepts this centurion's faith and in fact he contrasts it with those who think they're naturally in the kingdom. It's almost like those who think that they've got Taylor Swift tickets and discovered that they're fake. They're the kinds of people that Jesus looks at, namely the Pharisees and the Jews, who think they're already in God's kingdom. Hold on a second. Truly I tell you, Jesus says, I have, found, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom, those who think they're in now, the Jews, the Pharisees, those who are following the law without following the law of love and grace, will be thrown outside. They'll be thrown into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus flips the whole thing over. He's saying those who think they're in are out and those who are out are in. What? Amazing. The kingdom of God reaches out to those on the outside. Even the Romans. Even Roman centurions. And yet... He will also dispel those who assume that they're in. Very briefly, there's a third person mentioned in this passage. Peter's mother-in-law. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him. And he drove out the spirits with a word And healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. Now, this is one that you might be asking why is this woman, Peter's mother in law, an outsider? There's a couple of reasons, actually. Firstly, in Jesus' time, being a woman was putting yourself almost as a second-rate citizen. Jesus' world, it was very much a man-dominated society. And so to be a woman was to have less rights than males. Certainly not the situation uh, that we have today, but certainly uh, that was the case back in the Middle Eastern cultures where women were looked down upon as second-class citizens. In fact, they weren't allowed to speak in public to other men unless their husbands were with them. They weren't allowed to worship in the same area as men in the synagogue. They were mistreated, often unrespected. But secondly, 
She was living with Peter and quite possibly his wife. So we could also speculate that she's a widow, needing to live under the providence of her, her, her daughter and her son-in-law. No social security, no superannuation, no life insurance. A widow was left destitute and to, left to the provision of her children if they chose to look after her. Widows were some of the lowliest members of the society as far as value and respect because they contributed little, especially if they were also sick. Third thing. It's interesting that no one approaches Jesus with this predicament. We find that Jesus literally just walks into Peter's house. Now, it could have been by any kind of invitation, but Jesus, as a friend of Peter, enters Peter's house and sees the point of need. And again, what's his first thing? He reaches out and touches her hand. Again, totally unafraid of physically touching an ill person, a a woman with a fever, unable to get out of bed, very weak, very poorly. The social stigma that would come from seeing someone who would touch a sick person, the, the fear that they might actually be infected themselves. And yet Jesus just doesn't, you know, pat her on the back or pat her on the head. No, she, she holds a hand. She reaches out and holds her hand, a hand of acceptance, a hand of affection. I, uh, I work as a chaplain uh, amongst people who are literally dying. And the most beautiful thing is to be able to hold their hand and to have them squeeze back, to let them know that they know you're here. And for you, even through a touch of a hand, to display and communicate love in a very tangible way. Jesus does that. He extends his hand and touches this woman and embraces her just through the physical touching of her hand. He restores her self-worth and of course this woman is healed and she gets up and she serves Jesus restored wanting to show her thankfulness for her transformation and reinvigoration so three very different but also very similar situations that Jesus is confronted with and of course Matthew goes on in those final couple of verses that we're looking at that Jesus is growing in his impact and his reputation. People are coming from all around to get the spirits driven out, to to have the sick healed. And Matthew sums up these episodes with a verse from Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4, that Jesus is uh, fulfilling what was spoken about in the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. Now, whenever I've read that verse in in this context, I I always think that we need to focus on on the words, um, our infirmities and our diseases, that Jesus took up our infirmities, our, our sicknesses and our diseases. But I think the other point that Matthew is also saying is our, our infirmities and our diseases. It's, it's the people's diseases and infirmities. And who are those people? 
Well, unless you look at Isaiah 53 itself, Isaiah 53 starts with this verse. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Isaiah is not singling out the Jews as the ones believing. In fact, they're the ones not believing. It's those who believe and put their faith and trust in Jesus and who surrender themselves to him. They are the ones who the arm of the Lord has been revealed. Or in other words, who have been accepted into the kingdom of God. And Isaiah, in that chapter, continues and finishes in verse 12, saying, He poured out his life to death and was numbered with the transgressors, or in some other um, uh, variations, to the sinners or to the outsiders. He poured out his life to death and was numbered with the outsiders. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors transgressors, the sinners, or the outsiders. This verse that Matthew is pulling from Isaiah is again illustrating that not only is Jesus healing, but he is showing who is acceptable in the kingdom of God. You are no longer outsiders. You matter. You belong. You are loved. So just briefly, right at the end here, I just want to, again, reiterate the importance of this message for each one of us today. You matter. You have an inherent value. You are not outside the love of God. There's a beautiful saying, and I, I really hope and I, I put my faith that it's true, that there is nothing you can do to make God love you more and there is nothing you can do that will make God love you less. You are his beloved creation. He wants you to respond to that love that he extends to you. Respond in faith, humility, and surrender like the leper, like the centurion. Secondly, being a citizen of the kingdom of God means that you also belong. As you respond in faith, you are no longer an outsider. You, you have that golden ticket. You get to be adopted into the family of God. Jesus makes that really clear in his beautiful illustration as a father gives an inheritance to his son who wants to take it and live his own life. And he goes and squanders all that money. And he returns back to the father thinking that he would literally just become one of the servant servants, one of the hired hands. And yet we know that beautiful scene where the father is standing outside the, the house looking for his son's return. And he runs to him. And he puts his arm around him and he says to the family, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Let's celebrate the restored relationship that we have with this lost son, a son who we thought was dead and now is alive. Jesus reaches out to each one of us. No matter how distant we might feel from him, he is literally 
waiting on the doorstep, waiting for you to come to him. He is ready to make you feel belong, belonging to his family. Finally, <coughs> being a citizen of the kingdom of God means that you are loved. Jesus will go to the end of the world for you. Jesus went to the end of his life and surrendered it for you because he truly loves you. You are loved. You matter. You belong. You are loved. In faith, you are no longer an outsider. You have the full richness of God's glory and inheritance. You have eternal life before you. As long as you step out in faith and receive Christ. We don't often do this in our church. I've been here a few years. We've only done it a couple of times. But I'd like to take a couple of moments. I'll invite the band to come up. <clears throat> if something's tugging on your heart today, I want to give the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to work in us. If there's something that you need to surrender to him today, to recognize his love, to lean into him, to trust him more, to be confirmed that Jesus is right there, wanting to love you. Perhaps now's a good time to respond, to reflect. Let me pray for us, and then I'm going to ask some of the prayer team to come down the front. <clears throat> and if you feel like you want to come down and have someone pray with you, please feel free to do that. Don't be embarrassed. We're, we're part of the family here. Come down, receive some prayer. Don't let this moment go by without responding and reflecting even in your seats now. God loves you. You matter. You belong. You are loved. Heavenly Father, we thank you <clears throat> for what Jesus did for the, in those three circumstances. We thank you for what you've done in each of our lives. And I do pray as we reflect on this passage and as we reflect on your great love for us, that we will continue to respond in faith and trust and surrender, that we will be drawn close to you, that you would warmly embrace us, that we would be one of your own, that we would be brought into the kingdom of God. This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30am and 5pm or on our website at www.nvbc.info.